inviting you to join us. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Good morning. You are listening live to Radio Free Brooklyn, streaming from 100 Bogart Street in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. I am Vincent Metzo, your host on the Physical Culture, Music, and Art Show, Dean of Discipline, Dean of Personal Training, and the man with the face for radio. (laughs) We are here this morning with Ambika. She has been a singer and musician for most of her life, playing in various bands in New York City until she discovered chanting with Krishna Das in 1995. Kirtan had a profound effect on her. As Ambika deepened her connection to the practice of chanting, it became her home and refuge. And recently, she's been exploring chants from other faith traditions, working with the program at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. Good morning, Ambika. Good morning, Vincent. It's nice to have you with us here today. That was a little rousing round of applause for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. So what I'd like to have you talk about first is how did you first get into singing and art and your creative pursuits when you were really young? Um, well, uh, I feel like I was singing... I don't remember not singing. Like, I think I sang as a child and I was, um, learned guitar when I was like a kid and, um, and then, uh, high school, right? We went to high school together, you and I. So that's right. We did the beautiful high school of music and art. That's right. And, and before that I was at Brooklyn friends school and, um, and actually there I, uh, I did a cover of a Fleetwood Mac song um, for the talent show, you know, when I was like in seventh mm-hmm. grade. And that, like the way people reacted, you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is something I want to do. You uh-huh. know? Um, so, and then I, and then I auditioned for music and art for voice and went there for voice and then um, did some band stuff, then went to NYU for uh, drama because I got interested in that and then did some more band things and um, sort of played around with the acting world and then realized that I didn't feel at home in that world in the way that I did in the musical world. So Mm -hmm. I went back to kind of really focusing on music and um, had some more bands that I formed and unformed and did. Um, So that's kind of that's and then and and then were your parents musical? Uh, my mom, my dad, no, but my dad listened to opera nonstop, which I really dislike. I got to be uh-huh. honest. I really don't like, I'm sorry for all you people who love opera. I just don't like it. Um, and, uh, but my mom, she wasn't, no, she didn't play an instrument, but she did have a nice voice and we used to mm-hmm. um, go caroling together. Oh, awesome. So we did do that. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, we played a lot of music in the house. Like, it was a big part of, like, growing up was, like, what album we were listening to. So Because mm-hmm. you I could remember. only listen to one at a time then, and you had to actually have it in the house. Exactly. You yeah. had to have it in the house. Mm-hmm. Was there a big music program at Friends? Like, did you have a choir? Did you have a music class there? Do you remember? I think so. I think we had a choir. Mm-hmm. Very vague. Mostly, I just remember like doing stupid stuff with my friends for the talent show. Like, uh-huh. let's do this. We did an acapella thing, and then cool. you know, like, and you were already so somewhere along the line, you learned how to harmonize, and you were able to do. I just you know, did sing it with other people, and it just awesome. I always, I'm kind of a, mm-hmm. I'm a very lazy musician because my ear has been naturally good. Mm-hmm. So I do everything by ear still. And people ask me what chords, like the songs I make up, like what chords are they? And I'm like, I don't remember. The ones that sound good. Yeah, the exactly. The ones that I just played. That, that's chords. what that is. Right. But yeah. I have to like, lately I've played with musicians who want cor- chord charts and I was like, I've had to like uh-huh. change my brain a little. But mm-hmm. so when but I was you young. you learned all of that at music and art. I did, but I sort of remember, but I do, I did, I did learn music theory and all of that and how to read music and then shortly forgot it afterward because. And you were a voice major there? I was a voice major there. Were you art? I was art. I was a, I was a fine art major, but it always, at that point, it seemed to me like more of the art students were in bands than the music students. You know, a lot of the music students were in like the jazz band at school and stuff. And they were like such good musicians. They couldn't bother with playing punk rock. But, you know, (laughs) all the art students were out at the clubs playing and starting bands and stuff. Do you remember what Fleetwood Mac song you did at Um, Friends? What? I can't remember. I'm guessing it wasn't someone's going to get their head kicked in tonight. No, it was the one. I can't remember the name of it because I'm senile now. (laughs) Um so it was, you know, well, here you go again. You say okay. you want that one. Mm-hmm. See, I knew we should have had you sing live today, but <laughs> that's okay. In between coughing fits. <laughs> exactly. So when you left music and art, how did you get into your first band? How did that all come about? Or I've... was it while you were at music and art? Um, I don't think I was, I think I was like almost in bands in music and art, but I never really formed a band there. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Alma and Suzanne and I, and we tried to form a band and that just didn't work out. And mm-hmm. I can't remember why, but somehow it didn't happen in music and art. Um, and then um, in college, yeah, I a friend st- like started a band and I started to sing in that one. And I think it was called The Verge. Or Verge, something like that. And then um, shortly out of college, I met this man, John Keller, who I started dating. And then we formed the band Bottle Finger. We did a bunch of uh-huh. stuff together. And he was like, and still is, like one of the best musicians I've ever known, seen, worked mm-hmm. with. Like he's just like at another level. Like he works with different tuning systems. Like mm-hmm. he's in another realm. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, beautiful realm to like visit i have Uh to say it's like he i learned so much from him that's awesome what sort of you guys played around did you put out a record what sort of stuff were you doing with bottle finger we were doing blues you know so we did a lot of blues covers and we did some originals um he wrote all the songs at that time i wasn't really 
writing. I guess I wasn't writing songs then, mm-hmm. or I didn't think I could, or something. Um, so, but it was always in this uh, microtonal. So it was always in this other tuning system, just mm-hmm. intonation. So it was always he had a fretless guitar, like it was oh, like wow. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why we would do old blues songs because the old like Robert Johnson stuff was mm-hmm. kind of like that. Like it was all slide. So they. Mm-hmm. It was interestingly in a different kind of realm also, which is why he loved it so much. And he introduced me to that kind of music that I fell in love with too. So, and we played around New York City, like in band, you know, mm-hmm. at all the um, clubs mm-hmm. and bars and mm-hmm. like that. Did it, Was it just the two of you or did you have bass and drums? We had bass and drums. So um, mostly his brother, Brad, would play. Then they played a lot together. Um mm-hmm. He would play bass and then drums. I we it was always a rotating situation with drummers. Mm-hmm. Drummers are hard yeah, to find. I know. You know, they keep on blowing up. I know. Uh, <laughs> we've had a lot of issue with that in the bands I've been in, also. So we're gonna play a little Bottle Finger song here. It's "Come On Into My Kitchen." Yeah, Do that's you have a Robert anything Johnson. Anything to uh, say about it? It's a Robert Johnson cover. Um, one of his. It's just I just love that song. Okay. Well, here we go. This is Bottle Finger doing Come On Into My Kitchen. That was Bottlefinger doing Come On Into My Kitchen. And we're here on Radio Free Brooklyn, streaming live. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And you can make a donation at www.radiofreebrooklyn.com. We're here with Ambika Elizabeth and talking about her journey through art and music. And though Ambika isn't in the fitness industry per se, she has gotten into kirtan and chanting 
and the healing aspects of that, I believe. You do it not just for the musical aspect, for the art aspect, but also for the healing aspect. So how did you make that transition? What happened in your life that you went from singing blues and rock and stuff to doing this more spiritual pursuit? Um, so I started uh, in the 90s uh practicing yoga and I came to yoga practice the way a lot of people do because I had, you know, uh, um, something physical I was dealing with. Right. So for me, it was asthma and people were saying, you know, you should try yoga. And I heard it enough times that I was like, all right. (laughs) And if you insist. (laughs) Right. And so I, which is how most people, I don't know, these days but in those days most people came to yoga because of some issue like that like Mm -hmm. it was always something like that um and the place that i went was jiva mukti yoga center Mm -hmm. which in those days was on second avenue in the east village where i lived at that time and still smell the patchouli yes (laughs) um the nag champa actually (laughs) oh okay (laughs) um so uh and they because of the way they were teaching it um They really were, at that time, they were the only place I knew of sort of like incorporating the more mystical aspects of yoga. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just an exercise. And they were chanting. Mm -hmm. And they were doing these mantras at the beginning of classes. And and then, and I really loved them. I really, they really resonated with me. Um, And the practice did, the place did, all of it. The mysticism, I sort of felt like something coming in that I'd been looking for, you know? Mm Um, and then there was this man there, Krishnas, who was chanting, started chanting on Monday nights. And when he chanted, it was like a whole nother level of like connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really felt like just overwhelmed by that practice. And uh, it really resonated with me. Like I felt like I'd come home and there uh-huh. was no mm-hmm. logical reason for that, of course. Uh-huh. Well, it, it's know. interesting you know, part of the purpose of this show is that um, there's this connection between our physical selves and fitness and our emotional, creative, artistic selves. And it seems not to be connected in our society. Like we don't really recognize that Mm. in our Mm. modern society. Mm. The other thing that uh, interests me is, Clearly, art makes its way into fitness in terms of dance. But when you talk about things like asthma and respiratory conditions, when we look at training special populations in that way, it's all about, oh, guided relaxation, self-hypnosis, meditation, Mm -hmm. breathing exercises. And all the fitness people are like, oh, well, what are breathing exercises? What does that mean? And it's all the stuff, you know, like putting a book on your diaphragm to actually make your diaphragm expand. But then I often wonder why we haven't made that step to having singing and chanting and things like that be part of fitness. I mean, certainly in martial arts, you know, they're yelling and they're saying things to help increase how hard they punch or kick. But there's sort of this separation then from actually using the voice as being part of our physical expression and our fitness expression in a way. So it it makes sense to me. Uh, It seems it made sense to you that there's some bigger connection there. Yeah, no, that's a, that's really interesting the way you're talking about it. And um, 
honestly, when I first started chanting, it was, um, I mean, it's always been creative for me, um, but it's also, um, you know, it was, it it is, it was and is a spiritual practice for me, right? So it's Mm -hmm. my main sort of connection in that way. But recently, I've been sort of delving into the idea of it as like a a physical healing practice. Mm -hmm. And so I started to do some sound baths and sound healing with this um, Mm -hmm. Space Reciprocity Foundation. Um, And people do, you know, sound baths are all the rage right now. And so we've incorporated the um, mantras and the voice into the sound baths. So they'll Mm -hmm. play the gong and I'll I'll do some chanting. And I also, um, you know, like to go through the chakras with these Bija mantras, which like represent each chakra and they like, I find that and that practice I learned a long time ago. And again, I I just came back to it recently as a, like a real way to like, it's like when you're doing Qigong or something and you're opening up the meridians or you're, Mm -hmm. you know, like they talk about the Dantians. It's the same thing. It's like these places in the body that, um, I don't know. They're like energetic centers Mm -hmm. and it's really powerful to chant and, and visualize those places in your body and feel, I really feel a change when I do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, I want you to to sort of describe what this idea of sound baths is. Mm, Okay. Just so we can have a better idea, but absolutely this whole idea of vibrational healing Mm -hmm. and frequencies and how that's going to affect different parts of your body, whether you look at it from a, more religious mysticism point of view or whether you look at it from physics, you know, you're making your noise, you're vibrating and those things are going to have an effect. Absolutely. But can you tell us a little bit more about what these sound baths are and where you're doing them? Where can people get involved in this kind of thing? Um, Yeah. So a sound bath is really fabulous because you, you lay down, which, you know, when you're my age, is always good. good. (laughs) Um, um, so you get to lay down and they involve always so far, the ones I've been to always involve a gong. So, and there's so many sounds the gong makes and, you know, cause we think of it, I always thought of the gong as like, you know, that loud banging thing, you know, <laughs> but there's behind the drummer. Right. Right. And he, and he like, right. He bangs it like once in a while for like a special effect, but this is like, it has so many subtle frequencies and sounds and depending on the type of gong, it's. When you're laying down, it just fills your body in a way that's really um, quite, I don't know, it's uh, its powerful. Um, and its if you're just laying down and closing your eyes, you know, you really can focus on the sound in a different way and how it resonates in your body. And if you're having certain issues, you know, you can focus there. Um, and then we bring in other instruments, right? So I'll play like a Shruti box, which is somewhat like a harmonium, but with no keys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, there's chimes. People usually play chimes or sometimes singing bowls. Sometimes the last time I did it with this woman, she brought tuning forks, which I loved. Uh-huh. Those are really great. And, um, actually I saw John Catler recently and he was talking about to because all all of the world is about tuning and frequency for him uh-huh. so he was talking about tuning forks and he was talking about like this particular frequency that's like the frequency of love that people have been talking about now i've forgotten oh, it's wow. a certain amount it's a mm-hmm. certain whatever hurts i can't remember um but um anyway so and we do the sound baths that i've been doing are every other wednesday at this place reciprocity foundation at 6 p.m and they are the ones we're doing, it's a night for women only. Mm-hmm. So um, there are also great sound baths uh, led by this woman, Lakshmi, 
um, at Integral Yoga Studio. Okay. And Integral and Yoga is in on... 13th Street. Mm-hmm. And that, those are Saturdays. Um, uh-huh. And those are for men and women. Yeah, those, those are, are all all gender mm-hmm. welcome. So mm-hmm. for, for now at Reciprocity, the sound bath night is just... But Reciprocity is a really great place because it's... Um, they do healing practices, wellness treatments for underserved communities. So they uh-huh. have like, fr- like the sound baths we do are, the donation is 2 to $5. Uh-huh, that's great. <laughs> like they do acupuncture and massage. They have different, so it's a, like a beautiful space where people can go even for free, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a pretty great, pretty great place. And with the sound baths, are there people who are the practitioners who are playing the instruments and the people who are there for the treatment or for the experience they lay down? Or is it more of a participation kind of thing? Right. Sound baths, not as much participatory in the making of sound. Mm-hmm. Although you could. Nobody says you can't. but mo- And you don't have to lie down, but it's just so nice. So it's like a laying, it's sort of like a, medita- a sound meditation, mm-hmm. I want to say. The sound bath, it's like you're really in that passive state, getting mm-hmm. letting the vibrations heal you. When I do kirtans, which are different, um, that's a call and response. We're chanting uh-huh. and it's call and response. And to me, it's kind of like that is similar to gospel music, right? right? right. Like if you're mm-hmm. in, like, and I was in gospel chorus at um, Music and Art. I don't uh-huh. know if you knew that, but. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was like one of the few, uh, one of the few non-Baptist kids People. in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to say it was my first kirtan experience uh-huh. was the gospel. Well, You know, it's always interesting as an exercise scientist, as a physiologist, you know, everybody talks about this method or this technique. And for me, it's always about boiling it down to the principles. Mm. What are the underlying principles? Mm. So, you know, this person's method works, this technique works, this other person's method works. But the reason they all work is because they're all based on this same principle. You know, this is the underlying mechanism that they're all using, even though they, especially these days, branded it, you know, trademarked it, registered it, and said it's something different, but it's really not. It's based on this principle. And so when we look at, you know, gospel, when we look at chanting, when we look at all these different practices, what's the same about them is more important to me than what's different about them. What's the same about them is these vibrations and this, you know, uh, the physics of it. But how you get to that, obviously, is different for different people. Um, I would like to play one of the songs off your new record. Can you tell us a little about Ambika Chance and the website? Give us the URL so people can find out about it. Yes. Uh, so the, uh, the website is Ambika Chant. Dot com and the album is mother's calling and we're gonna play um the first song we're gonna play is it's ma durga so it's to the mother goddess so and she's the fierce one you know with the she rides a tiger or a lion and she has all the weapons and she's like the one who restores balance to the universe when the demon, this demon takes over that uh-huh. the male deities can't. She's like got a great story. Awesome. So um, that's, this chant is to her. Great. And we could definitely use some of that now because the demons have absolutely taken over. <laughs> so true. Okay. Here we go. Mother 
I'm 
This is Radio Free Brooklyn, streaming live. This is the Physical Culture, Music, and Art Show, and we're here with Ambika. That was one of the songs off her new record, Ambika Chants. And Ambika Chant, I know I keep saying the S. Um, So could you, I know that wasn't the song that we had talked about with the goddess, but could you tell us a little bit about that song? Yes, so that's the Hanuman Chalisa. So it's 40 verses in praise of Hanuman, who is the monkey god, you might. And he, oh, awesome. Yeah, and he is the embodiment of devotion and uh, selfless service and love. And um, that particular chant, what the thing I love about it is in the mythology, there's this story that he has all these great powers, um, but he was cursed by one of the gods because everybody's always cursing each other mm-hmm. uh, um, that he would forget his powers. And so what we're doing in that in that particular chant is reminding him of who he truly is and what he's truly capable of. Uh-huh. And I love that because I think we all need that reminder. Absolutely. You know, so mm-hmm. I, that's one of my favorite And to stop chants. cursing other people all the time. Right? Yeah, stop to that. be more humanistic. <laughs> right. That's wonderful. So... Before we bring on our next guest, Henry Ruby, who also is an alum of LaGuardia, although a bit after us, I wanted to ask you how your original training as a musician influences the kirtan and the chanting that you're doing now. Well, I mean, I think like all the melodies, like that melody is mine. Like I definitely have a Western melody kind of world that I still inhabit and so when i chant i the chants are thousands of years old but the melodies that i'm gonna give them Mm -hmm. are gonna be more modern and more like what i grew up with or what i Mm kind of like from that tradition um so that's part that's a big part of it it's just how like my creative mind works is like from that Mm -hmm. from my childhood and on and even now And gospel chorus. Mm -hmm. And gospel (laughs) chorus, absolutely. (laughs) So we were also talking while we were playing the song, just to give a shout out to NYU and ETW, Mm. that there is a connection uh, when we did the warm-up circle from the Iowa Theater Lab with Kevin Kolke at NYU, and how not only were we doing the physical warm-up in this warm-up circle, but they also did use voice there a lot so we would do almost a call and repeat kind of chanting thing or an ensemble kind of chanting there which is interesting because i think it gives us an idea for a new class a new kind of yoga class where the asana and the chanting isn't necessarily separate but more incorporated and certainly the warm-up circle was more vigorous do you have fond memories of the warm-up circle i do it's funny i didn't remember it until you brought it up i had forgotten about but it was an amazing it was mm-hmm. so intense. Like, I just remember how intense and how focused we were. Like, we really took it seriously. Like, it meant so much to us to connect in that way. And like, like we were being real um, 
I felt like I was really being an artist when I was in that circle. Like I was really uh-huh. doing the work. And there was something about that connection of the physical, particularly with that, with Kevin, where we did that, that incorporating the physical in that way and the vocal, like there was some way in which it just brought you really into yourself in a different way that I loved. So I remember that and connected you to everyone else. That right, was the other thing. Right. Like we were all connected together, which is what I love about chanting and doing kirtan is that I'm in a room with people and they're singing back to me. It's mm-hmm. not just me like watch me perform, right? It's very mm-hmm. different. So that warm up circle was that group experience where we connected together in that way physically and with our voices. It was pretty great. Absolutely. I agree. And that's part of the original physical culture movement was about having a new noble purpose, being part of a community of a society and really using physical education to make better citizens. Mm. And we've lost that, you know, now it's to make better biceps and to make better abs, but not to have that connection. And it seems like maybe the the voice part of it could, the vocal part of it, the vibration part of Mm -hmm. it could really help to bring that together, which would be wonderful. So, Ambika, it's been great having you on. Could you just give us the website again and tell us about the events that you're doing uh, at Reciprocity? Sure. Um, So, website again is ambikachant.com, and that's A-M-B-I-K-A and chant. (laughs) Um, The album is Mother's Calling. Uh, At Reciprocity, the next sound bath we're doing for women is Wednesday, the 20th of March, um, it's six to seven p.m., and if you're a woman, you're welcome. And it's only two to five dollars. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I'm doing a kirtan in Albany on Friday, but that's cool. far. And what are you doing? Anything at St. John the Divine soon? Um, no, it, that'll be not until at uh, the end of April. End, end of, of April. April. Yeah. Awesome. And will that be on the website? Um, it could be. It's usually. Yeah. Yes, it will. I'll just say yes. Yes, it will. Awesome. And you go home and put it on. (laughs) Yes, I will. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor here, and then we're going to have a nice talk with Henry Ruby. Now is the time. Now is the year. At Bodies Total Fitness, we can help you lose every extra pound. Tone and tighten every inch plus make your body look better than ever just $19 down and $19 a month join the party at bodies total fitness when you work out you'll look incredible even when you're wearing almost nothing at all no initiation fee and just $19 a month are you looking at me i'm looking at you you can make the most of it Get the body you've always wanted. One dollar down and just $9.99 a month. Half naked, oiled up bodies now make it even easier. Get off that thing you're sitting on. No initiation fee and just $5 a month. Get the body you've always wanted. Bodies Total Fitness look incredible. First week free. Sexy. Sexy. I'm not the only one looking at you. Put that down and join. We're free. Bobby's Total Fitness. Making the gym safe for sexual harassment. And we're back. 
This is Vince Mezzo, Dean of Discipline, Dean of Personal Training, and the man with the face for radio. <laughs> and we are here with Henry Ruby since 2010. Henry has been working in the fitness industry, mostly as a trainer. After an injury and a stint as operations manager and director, Henry returned to training in 2007 and also works as a climbing coach. He's currently enrolled at Manhattan College's pre-physical therapy program and is in their Honors Society for Kinesiology. Welcome, Henry. Thank you for coming. Ah, Thank you, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Henry, you also went to LaGuardia and your original training was as an actor and then you moved into fitness. Can you tell us how you got into acting and how you ended up at LaGuardia and how this whole drama thing happened? Uh, yeah, well, I and started... Be sure uh, to include the drama. I will, <laughs> for sure. Um, I started as a kid. My my brother was really... He's the real performer and actor in the family. Um, and so, you know, kind of following my brother, I would go and do, you know, community theater projects with him and be in childhood plays Um but he was really sort of the driving force pushing us in that direction. And then, you know, followed him pretty much to every school, uh, you know, elementary school or middle school had a really good drama teacher and drama program. And it was kind of like a factory for LaGuardia so uh -huh. the middle school on the hundred street and first Avenue, Manhattan East. And Ann Retray was our teacher and she would just work us and work us to get us into LaGuardia. So my brother went, and my sister went, and I went. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't realize you were one of three. So you're the yeah, youngest? I was the youngest, yeah. So I came. I never went to school with my brother in high school, um, just my sister for a couple of years. My brother graduated right as you know, the year before I got there. So um, that's how I got into drama, through my family. And, and just it was always in my house growing up. We would always watch musicals. And when I was a kid... Um, when I was like three, my mom is, tells me, tells a story that I would walk around the house and, and, uh, smoke chalk. Like I was a uh, riff from the West side story. Uh -huh. and so, you know, just music and art was, was always in my, in my house. And are your parents artists or performers? They're not. No, my mom is a minister. So she's a performer in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and my father's mm -hmm. an, an architect. So, you know, he draws artists in a sense, but not in the classical terms. Right, right. How did you make the transition? What is it that made you think that fitness would be a, a good career or a good way to uh, support yourself? Well, we always had athletics in the house, too. Uh, you know, grew up playing sports and activities. My brother was a big gymnast. Um, and so in high school, uh, you know, I really wanted to, to as I got into the, you know, my senior and junior and senior year of high school, I wanted to kind of take control of my life and myself and who I was and who I was going to be. And, um, you know, we were introduced to different types of, you know, exercise and fitness that was beyond sort of the general lift weights in a gym and run on a track through the drama program. There was uh, meditation, yoga, you know, uh, mindful uh, breathing, dance classes. So I kind of started to see that, you know, the movement world and the, the, the realm of fitness was more than, you know, what was being shown to me through media at the time. Um, so that's, that's kind of what led me there. And, and actually going, uh, some, a, a colleague of mine, a, a peer of mine, their father went to the Swedish Institute. 
Mm-hmm. And when I was looking for what to do after high school, I was kind of getting into fitness. Um, I was a bike messenger in high school and that kind of what, what pushed me in that direction. And then they said, you know, you're, you're getting into exercise. I think you should look at the Swedish Institute. It's kind of an alternative school for, the, you know, for these topics. And they do massage. Maybe they have something with exercise. And it turns out you had just started the advanced personal training program. So it, it all kind of kind of worked out. And, and I, I just remember I went to the, the orientation or like a you know, drop in open house. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is really interesting. This is, you know, the direction I want to go in. That's awesome. So that's actually a perfect segue. Henry Swedish Institute has recently given a donation to sponsor this program. Swedish Institute has been in continuous operation in New York city for over a hundred years. They've added quality healthcare programs, including personal training, nursing, and medical assistant to their longstanding massage therapy foundation. And their school provides a, the hands-on professional approach to education to get you into the workplace. You can go to www.swedishinstitute.edu or call them at 212-924-5900, extension 199. That's 212-924-5900 extension 199 to find out about careers in fitness and the healthcare field. And thanks to Swedish Institute for their generous donation. And we're back. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is the Physical Culture Music and Art Show, and we're here with Henry Ruby. Henry, one of the things that you mentioned about your training at LaGuardia, which really resonates is the idea of all these different aspects of fitness. So they taught you relaxation and mindfulness and all of these different things. Because I came up doing children's theater and my father was an actor, I thought everybody did that. So I was kind of surprised in the fitness industry that like knowing how to breathe and how to focus yourself, that this was such a a novel thing. Have you found in fitness that that background has helped you? Have you found that that's becoming more popular, more of a focal point in fitness lately? What's your experience been? I think it definitely helped me. It was, uh, in my opinion, just a big advantage, um, just having a sort of internal awareness. Um, you know, we think about how our body moves in space and sort of how we interact with the you know, objects around us, but internally there's so much that you can do to yourself, um, that can affect, you know, your athletic performance or your fitness, et cetera. So having sort of that, that, you know, precursor that, that prelude to fitness, um, I sort of felt like I was walking in with a really great sort of internal awareness and then it helped me sort of grow from there. And I think it's becoming more popular today. I think, um, and, you know, in America, in this society, we need things to be empirical. We need things to be proven by science. It can't be a test. Or not, because we do have <laughs> yeah. alternate facts, apparently. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's means. like one or the other. <laughs> um, but so, it, you know, now people are finding ways to test these different methods and these different techniques. And, and they're finding ways to, you know, equate them and say, oh, yes, here, here's the benefit. We can write it down in a sentence, mm-hmm. in a paragraph in an abstract. And, and that's, you know, then that, that gets more people on board. Um, 
because it's, you know, just having blind faith and doing a practice is, is difficult when you can see like, oh, this is proven for a fact it works and here's mm-hmm. the benefits, then more people are going to get into it. So I, I have seen uh, the industry as a, as a whole kind of rise Shift. up in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you find that you have an opportunity to do mindfulness with your clients to take them through a guided relaxation when they need it? Have you incorporated that into the training that you do with your clients? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I always had sort of some guided relaxation work from from LaGuardia, but then actually when we did it, did the course in the Swedish Institute, that's when I started bringing it into my personal training practice. Uh, and sometimes it's um, planned and I'll say, oh, hey, let's do a, a recovery session or a relaxation session. And then sometimes it's kind of impromptu. It's just you show up and the person's just frazzled. They're out of it. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're stressed, mm-hmm. overtraining, et cetera, not enough sleep. Check their resting heart rate. It's, you know, 10, 15 beats high. Okay, today we're not training. We're just going to do some relaxation, um, you know, some sort of guided yoga, you know, stretching, foam rolling and those things. And, and they love it. You mm-hmm. know, by the end of the session, they feel 10 times better. And, and, you know, often then they'll want to do it again in the future and, and incorporate it into their, into their program. Absolutely. And it's great that as a trainer, you can offer that also. Yeah. I think it's a great advantage because, you know, some people are, are just uh, type A and they can train by themselves. They can do, you know, the uh, endurance training. They can do everything and run themselves into the ground. So they don't think they need a trainer or anyone to work with, but okay, well, let's just check the other side of this yin yang. You know, what, what else? Okay. We can work on, on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they haven't, they probably hadn't thought of that. Right. Right. It, recovery has really become an active process now, or hopefully we're trying to make it an active process because people have that idea. I'm either training or I'm sitting on the couch watching TV, but they don't realize that there are active things they need to do to help replenish and restore their body. Personally, I spend more time recovering than I do (laughs) exercising these days, it seems, sometimes. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, it could be the stress. It could be you're getting old. But, (laughs) you know, there's just so much stress, I think, that we're not necessarily aware of in this urban environment, but also in this modern environment where we have all of these cell phones and things beeping and lights and all yeah, of this stuff. The constant stimulation. The and yeah. then you're, you know, and then you're on the subway on top of it. So right. it's right. Uh, compounded. Absolutely. So could you tell me a little bit about the climbing you did? How did you get into climbing? How has that become your expression? And I know you just recently got a new job related to climbing also. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've been working in climbing instruction now, um, climbing instruction and uh, coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into climbing in 2011. I had uh, some really good friends of mine, uh, Danny Nick Rosenblum and Alexander Messler. They all, we all grew up in New York City together and they had been into climbing for, you know, a few years and they were always trying to kind of push me into it and, we would go to Central Park and, and climb on these boulders and, you know, climb up these rock slabs that, they, it, you know, it wasn't too high. It wasn't too scary, but, you know, it was, it seemed pretty real. And the the bouldering was very sharp, very painful, very hard. I remember like my arms just hurt inside for, you know, weeks after doing it for one day. Um, and then slowly, eventually my friend got me to go up to uh, New Paltz, New York. There's the Schwangung Mountains. And we, we climbed 
on those cliffs one day. And after that, it was like, okay, 100%, mm-hmm. this is what I'm doing. Like all my effort, all my energy is just going to go into this. Um, and I've kind of just been doing that ever since. And it's been, it's been great. It started just going up to New Paltz on the weekends and then kind of expanded from there, go to the Adirondacks, go to New Hampshire, go down to, uh, you know, West Virginia and Kentucky. And then just sort of morphed into taking longer trips when we could, you know, saving up and then caravanning as a group going for, going from New York to Kentucky to Mexico, around Mexico, back to New York. And then since then, I've done a few trips out to the West Coast and through Colorado and Utah and different places. And I just love it because it, it combines so many different things um, physically and, and, and mentally and and then just personally, you know, you're taking these trips, you're going to new places, you're meeting new people, you're, you know, you're throwing yourself into a town or a state you've never been to or even a country. And, and, you know, you figure it out and you find, you meet people along the way and you build a community. And I see these same people year after year at different places, you know, planning mm-hmm. to see them without planning to see them. You know, this is my friend Luke. I hadn't seen Luke in, you know, five or six years. I'm in Colorado. Um, climbing with a buddy of ours named Dylan. And then I look down and there's Luke, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> and then me and Luke, you know, hung out for the rest for another week or so in, in Colorado. So it's, uh, there's just so much more than just the physical that you get out of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, the physical that you're getting, in my opinion, is, is just top of the line. Um, so yeah, there's so many different <laughs> reasons that, that I'm, I really love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently I've been getting into instruction and, and coaching um, and in this spring and summer, I'll be getting into outdoor um, guiding, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of like just kind of trying to build and, and go in that direction. I still love fitness. I still love fitness training, but I'm trying to just sort of bridge that gap between what you'd like to do personally and what you want to do professionally mm-hmm. and, and kind of just. Well, clearly they're both connected. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's nice. How do you, do you like being out in nature? Is that a big part of it for you, would you say? Yeah, I would, you know, I, I do like, I, I always say I like big cities and I like nature. I don't mm-hmm. really like the in-between. You know, mm-hmm. I like the the city, the hustle bustle, walking down the street, crowded, dodging around people, running into the train. I love, I love that energy, but I, I also love going out and just the, you know, the pristine wilderness and the, you know, the relaxation that you get out there and. And just the exposure to nature and the sounds and, you know, the, the running water, the wind, the exposure, the heights and, and everything. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the education or the certification for climbing coaches? Um, so for outdoor guiding, I'm going to be working with the AMGA, which is the American Mountain Guides Association. And they have a single pitch rock climbing guide, which means you can take groups outside, you can take them up, um, you know, one rope length. So that means mm-hmm. you're just, the rope can go up to where you climb to and it goes all the way back down to the ground. So you're not continuously going up the wall, you mm-hmm. know, rope length after rope length, getting higher right. and higher. You're just going up once coming down. Um, as far as indoor coaching, I really just applied to jobs with my experience and just said, this is my experience. You know, I've had the combination of working with adults, working with kids in fitness and also just the rock climbing background. Um, so I don't have like an indoor kind of coaching certification, but 
I'm sure they have some. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's got to be there's some kind. I think, and I know they mm-hmm. do have it um, geared for people who design the rock climbs, the indoor rock climbs that people do. I know they uh-huh. have certifications to for that. create the course and yeah. put the handholds. Because that's and more of holds. like a creative process, and mm-hmm. you know, it, the the livelihood of the gym and its reputation can hang on on who is designing these climbs right. because you know every month they make a new one, and mm-hmm. if it's not good if people don't enjoy it then they're mm-hmm. not going to want to go to the gym and so if it's too hard and nobody can do it that's probably a problem also yeah so it has to be and thoughtful of different body lengths and mm-hmm. you know how do you you know you have to make it so that a short person can do it a tall person can do it you know if you're if you have tight hips you know you have to kind of think about a lot of different things mm-hmm. how does your training and your rock climbing go together. Do you have clients who are rock climbers who you train sports specifically? Do you try and get your other clients into rock climbing to give them sort of an outlet or a manifestation of their fitness? Well, I always keep, you know, that door open. You know, I always tell people that this is what I like to do. And I, I, my number one recommendation to clients is to find an activity you love doing. That's mm-hmm. fit. That that's fitness related. That's uh, active. Um, it can be, you know, going to the beach, going to the mountain, go, just anything that's, in my opinion, outdoor is generally better. I mean, if you like doing indoor based fitness, you know, and that's what you love, then that's what you should follow. I recommend outdoors because for me, I think it's it's more beneficial. I think it, you know, it, it kind of will just expand your life a little bit further. Um, as far as I do have individual climbing training, um, but that's done at the climbing gyms that I work at. And mm-hmm. I don't like try to shuttle people back and forth or in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they're interested and they want to come check out the gym, then. Right. But it's not, right it's not a hard yeah. sell. It's just yeah. a, a love. And if it happens organically, then. Yeah. Right. Uh, the number one is to find, you know, what you like to do. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't like look at the pictures of climbing and, and be like, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that. Do you really want it? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it looks great. It looks like a lot of fun, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not necessarily the best thing for everyone to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, find what you love and then follow that. Absolutely. Can you tell us about where you're doing the climbing work now? And I think you said you had a kid's program coming up. Um, well, I'm working or? with uh, working at, with uh, the Cliffs, Long Island City, and the Cliffs. Um, they also have a location that's opening up in Harlem. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing um, going to be doing bouldering instruction and bouldering youth coaching at the Harlem location um, because they don't have any rope climbing. So bouldering is where you climb up the rock, and then when you you fall or let go, you come back down to a mat on the floor and you mm-hmm. you land on the mat. Um, sport climbing or lead climbing would be with a rope where you're clipping as you go. And if you fall, you hang on the rope. So the Harlem location is, is boulder only. And that spot is opening. We're hoping, we're hoping, um, soon June or July. Um, and their location in Long Island city right now is, uh, sort of combination boulder and ropes. Um, so I'll be working there with the youth as well as doing some adult boulder instruction and adult Mm -hmm. lead climbing. Do you find it's easier to teach adults or children? Adults are easier, in my opinion, because um, you don't have to. I don't think about little personality things or, or, or how to t- 
talk to them, how to manage them. I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's simpler. You know, they're, they're adults. Mm-hmm. We're both adults here, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's easy to, to have a back and forth with kids. You have to think one step further, mm-hmm. you know, how do I say this to them? You know, it's not, I, I was trying to say to somebody, it's not manipulation, but how do you, you know, maintain your excitement about something mm-hmm. and your focus so that they may stay focused and excited. And, and, you know, maybe you're not really that interested in what you're doing, but you have to, you have to put that on, you have to go that extra mile and go above and beyond and to, to keep them engaged because, you know, when you're younger, you have mm-hmm. a, you know, shorter attention, attention span. span. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like I was working with one group of, uh, three girls and, you know, we all split off into our groups and we're going to go do our training session um, and there's a dog. Uh-huh. And boom. They're all on the dog. So <laughs> I'm saying, okay, two of you climb, one of you play with the dog and rotate. Boom. Awesome. Easy. Like, you know, so, but it, you know, it's not difficult, but you have to take that little extra, you know, moment to think about things. Great. Thank you very much, Henry. This is the Physical Culture Music and Art Show streaming live on Radio Free 